Good to see you today, everybody. Take your Bibles, if you will. John's Gospel, chapter number 19. Find in your Bible the Gospel of John, chapter number 19. <clears throat> we have been looking at and have been studying the Gospel of John for quite some time now. And what, and what we have been doing is looking at the sevens that are found in John's Gospel, as many of you know. We looked at the seven I am's, and although this was not part of our series, we did it a couple of years ago. We looked at the seven miracles that are recorded. So there's only seven miracles recorded in John's Gospel. There are seven times Christ uses the phrase I am, referring to himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way. And uh, seven of those. We've looked at the seven witnesses we find in John's Gospel, seven people who made professions of faith in their witness about the person of Christ, and now we have been going through the seven conversations that the Lord Jesus Christ has with different women found throughout the Bible. There are only seven conversations. Some are very lengthy, some are very brief, and uh, some are very complex, and they're all complex. And uh, we have gone through five of them already. Now, I would like to say I planned it out all this way. I like to say that in my mind, being the genius that I am, that I mapped it all out, that this conversation would fall on this day and that next week's conversation would fall on Resurrection Sunday. I would like to tell you that, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that smart. Uh, some of you give me credit for it. If anything, the Lord worked that out, and that's how it all just fell into place and how God did it. And so we come today with the Lord Jesus Christ is hanging on Calvary's cross. And uh, he has been crucified. And there, there are seven times the Lord Jesus Christ speaks from the cross. Placed on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning, he will die at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And in those hours, he will utter seven statements from the cross. The first three statements will be uttered before noon. Those first three statements are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second statement would be, uh, today thou shalt be with me in paradise to the thief. And now we come to the third conversation where he talks to his mother and says, woman, behold thy son, and then talks to John, behold thy mother. And all three of those first three statements are what we call uh, intercessory conversation, intercessory prayers. These are where he acts as the mediator. John, uh, Timothy tells us that there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. My friend, the only mediator we have, the only mediators, there is nobody else who can go to God on your behalf except the man Christ Jesus. There is nobody, no saint, no individual, no grandmother, no grandfather, nobody can go to God on your behalf. We must go through Christ and Christ alone. And then the other statements are found afternoon. At noontime, the sky turns dark, and uh, Jesus Christ now becomes the sin-bearer of the world as he bears our sins. He is now the Lamb of God being sacrificed for us. And his statements that we would see on Wednesday when we are here for Bible study, we'll look at some of those statements as well, and uh, encouraging us in the Word of God. Now, again, I draw your attention here to this conversation. It says in chapter number 19 and verse number 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, 
Behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Let's pray. And we'll ask God to bless us this morning and help us with the word of God. Father, thank you today we can be here. Thank you for those who are faithful and able to make it to this morning to the service. Bless those, Lord, homesick, watching through the Internet. We pray, Lord, again, that the service there would be a blessing as well. We ask, dear God, that our eyes would be open to the Scriptures to understand spiritual truths. All is vain today unless the Spirit of God works and moves and convinces and convicts of the truth of the Word of God. We need your help and we pray that today we will see Christ in this conversation that he has with his mother. Understand the meaning of it and how it is applicable to our lives today. Help me to say only that which needs to be said. And uh, bless the children who are downstairs and minister to them and help those who minister with them. <clears throat> that again, Lord, that they would uh, be drawn closer to Christ in a world that again, <clears throat> with every week, seems to lose its mind. We would pray for those parents who've lost their children this past week at the hands of a demented, demonic individual, that you would provide comfort for them in their hour of grief as the funerals will be taking place. We pray, dear God, we know that, Lord, you tell us in your word that wickedness will come and that evil things will happen, but you've said that woe unto them by whose hands those things do come. We pray, Lord, again for your help and your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we want you to notice you're here in this, in this portion of Scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ, is, it's approaching the noon hour. And there's no, ap, no way in which I can accurately depict what Lord Jesus Christ looks like on Calvary's cross. It is a horrific and horrible scene, one that would make one sick. If you could see the actual portrayal of what he looked like, we would uh, become uh, ill if you do not like uh, gross things or squeamish things, and I don't think any normal person really does. You would not like to see Christ on Calvary. We like the paintings where it's all, you know, just a little trickles of red here and there, but my friend, that is not an accurate description. Christ has been beaten and brutalized, and really the Bible description is almost unrecognizable of what he looks like. He is a one, and I say this as kindly and as gracious as I possibly can, he is one a uh, mess of blood and, and bleeding and clotting and, and, and torn shred and expo exposed bones and muscle tissue. It is it, the brutality of all the demons of hell have been poured out upon our Savior, and he has suffered more than any other man, his visage marred more than any other man. And he hangs on Calvary's cross, and there is this bleeding mass of human flesh writhing in anguish up and down as it is nailed to that cross and, and, and through uh, gargled voice and breath he is able to utter statements these are not clear i would imagine not accurate in, in the sense that we speak today this is again through anguish through pain through the choking of blood the body straining for every ounce of moisture it possibly can he is he is drying out from from lack of liquid as his body is is striving and struggling to uh, for every ounce of fluid to produce more blood as, as it is dying there from the bleeding that is going on, the clotting factors, uh, the, the, the suffocation, which crucifixion really is a death by suffocation. And so we can imagine the, 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 the tones and the one that was so clear, the one who spoke so eloquently on the hillsides as he preached to the 5,000, the one who spoke so graciously as he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, the one who 
with all his beauty spoke the Beatitudes, now is struggling to speak and cry from Calvary's cross as he bears our sin. And one of those statements we read here is where he looks down upon his mother and says, Woman, behold thy son. I want us to notice, though, in verse number 25, it says now. That word now is a very important word. If those of you who know the English language, who are well-versed in the English language, who study these things for a living, notice the, the uh, adversative conjunction here now. It introduces a sharp contrast in, in, in the situation. If we were to back up and we notice... Uh, in verse 23, we have the beginning of a new paragraph. And that's, by the way, what that backward P with all the squiggly lines next to it means. It's a new paragraph is beginning. You should have that in your Bible. Most Bibles have them. It says, verse 23, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, who shall be, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiments among them, and for my vestures did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. So I want you to notice the one crowd that's here at Calvary's Cross, and there's a lot of different crowds here, but here in John's Gospel, John, John points our attention to the Roman soldiers who have now crucified the Lord, and the gambling that is taking place at the foot of that cross. They have taken his clothes. The Lord Jesus Christ is stripped of all his clothing as he hangs on the cross. And, and there's four pieces of clothing that they are gambling for, as well as the, the coat that he wore, which is a seamless garment, sewn from the top to the bottom. And instead of tearing that up or, or letting it go to waste, this is a beautiful piece of garment. They are gambling to see who will get that? That's how cold and callous and cruel these men are, that they are ignoring what is going on. They're ignoring not only the Lord of glory, they are ignoring the two other men who are also crucified there. In their minds, these are just thieves and reprobates, and these are no good individuals who deserve to be crucified. We don't pay no attention to them, which is gamble for their clothing and, and, and call it a day and, and wait for the day to end, realizing that they are witnessing history. You know, all of us, every day we witness history. Every day we live throughout it. We just don't realize we are living in history. If you're fortunate, I, you know, my life, I was born in 64, so I don't remember much of the 60s. I, the 70s, I really started paying attention, I guess, when I was in fifth grade. That's when the, the world around me started clicking in. Then I realized there's a war in Vietnam going on. I really didn't know anything about the Vietnam War until then. My mother kept us in the dark on that, let us enjoy a childhood. But I didn't realize I was living history. I, I lived through a, a president resigning from office. And by the way, we've had a bunch of others throughout the course who should have resigned, but they, they hung around. But we've had a president, I saw a president resign. I, I lived through the 80s and all the, the history that unfolded in the 80s. And, and we've seen history. Today we are living in history. History. And someday kids will ask us, uh, you were alive back then? What was it like? And, and what did you see? And, and how was it living in that day and time? These Roman soldiers are living probably in the greatest historical day where Jesus Christ is now fulfilling scripture and he's dying on Calvary's cross. This is a historic moment, but their minds are focused on gambling for clothing and how often we fail to notice the history around us or the souls around us that need Christ because we're too busy with the things that consume us on a daily basis. And then verse 25 where we have that, 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 that conjunction there where, we, where he talks about the word now. Again, it's, it's a 
sharp contrast. There's a change from one callous, uh, callous cold crowd to a crowd now that is uh, focusing solely upon that middle cross and what's taking place there. They were standing by. That means they were, the Bible says, they, they were alongside. They were very close to the cross of Jesus Christ. Later on, they would be driven back from the cross. They would be driven, driven away from there. But right now, they are up close. They are there watching it. Their love for the Lord Jesus Christ overcame any fear they had. And I, I, I hope you understand that. This is not a a good time to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because the crowd that's there is the crowd that crucified him. This is the crowd that hates him. This is the crowd that wants to see him dead. And how often in our day and time we find ourselves in a crowd that doesn't like our gospel, doesn't like our Bible, and doesn't like our Christ. And, and instead of being like a Mary and her sister and, and the others... We, we, we find ourselves more like a Peter who's nowhere to be found because last time we saw Peter, he was crying and running out into the night weeping. Or we, like the other nine disciples who have disappeared, and we know the one disciple by this point in time has already hung himself and is dead. But this group is there at the, at the foot of the cross knowing it's a dangerous place to be. They are there, and, and in the eyes of Rome... As Rome watches this small crowd at the foot of the cross, Rome looks upon these people as revolutionaries. These are the ones who hung around Christ. These are the ones who were with this man who, who spoke of being a king and, and having his own kingdom. So they're revolutionaries. And in the eyes of the religious crowd, the, the, Jew, the, the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish crowd, the, these people are heretics. And somewhere off, Watching in a distance, there's a Nicodemus and there's a Joseph of Arimathea who, who for years have been secret Christians and they stand off in the distance, not willing to risk their necks just yet. But these people, and again, isn't it amazing when we find this conversation and we have devoted our time to these, these conversations with these women and, 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 and we'll try and pull these all together when we finish an eighth message on tying the seven conversations together. But I hope you've seen some things that have happened in these conversations with these women that never happened with anybody else and, and what women have been privileged to that nobody else has been privileged to and what Christ has done publicly for these women that he may not have done for other people. And what we're seeing here is the men are nowhere to be found, but the women are there. That's kind of a shame, is it not? When God Almighty placed his omnipotent hand upon men and told them to be leaders and that told them to be head of the home and told them to lead and told, and listen, God told men, quit ye like men. That word quit ye like men means act like a man. I know in today's world, that's, that's, that's foreign and, 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 and hateful language, but a, a man ought to act like a man every now and then and a man ought to stand up and be a man. That's why God made it. Nothing wrong with that. That's toxic masculinity. It's being a man. It's a man. And we act like men, and we love our families, and we guide our homes, and, 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 and we, we serve Almighty God, and not ashamed of it. And the only man that's found there is the, and John never refers to himself by name, but we find John, the beloved disciple there at the foot of the cross. So all these women and just one man.
So we see these women at the cross, and there's a comparison from Matthew's gospel and, and Mark's gospel suggests that Jesus' mother's sister was a, a lady by the name of Salome, and, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who would be James and John. Now, we did this a long time ago when we studied the disciples, and how uh, these were cousins to the Lord Jesus Christ. She appears elsewhere in the New Testament, but, only by, uh, but by name only in Mark chapter number 16, as one of the women who bought spices to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if she was the mother of James and John, she also appears in Matthew's gospel, chapter number 20, in verses 20 through 21, where she asked Jesus to grant special place to honor for her sons in the kingdom. There is also a woman mentioned here in Scripture, and we notice who she is. It says, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. And one day we'll have to give you a piece of paper with all the Marys in the New Testament. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. Sometimes they can get a little bit confusing on who they are. But here we have Mary, who is the wife of Clopas, and she was also the other Mary who kept vigil at Jesus' tomb with Mary Magdalene, another Mary, and, and was one of the women who went to the tomb on the morning of the resurrection. She was also one of the women who tried unsuccessfully to persuade the apostles that the Christ had risen from the dead in Luke chapter number 24. She was the mother of the apostle James, the son of Alphaeus, and uh, who's also called James the Less. Again, there's a lot of James in the Bible. Sometimes you need a flow chart for that one as well. And so, again, we're giving you a kind of introduction. Then there's Mary Magdalene, who we won't say too much about today because she's our message next Sunday morning, Lord willing. But Mary Magdalene, again, is a prominent figure uh, in Scripture, and she is very prominent at this portion of time where she's there at the foot of the cross and she'll be there at the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, her name suggests that she is from the village of uh, Magdala, and, uh, which is located somewhere on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes people just think she is also another woman uh, who is uh, a prostitute, but it, it, she is not. Again, we'll go more into that next week. So again, we find these women here, these these ladies, these four women here at the foot of the cross, along with John. And again, it was dangerous for them to be there for the two reasons I already explained. One group thought they were revolutionaries, and the other group is picturing them as heretics. But my friend, God Almighty liked them. <laughs> and you don't worry about what the world thinks, who you may be or what you may be. All you worry about is what Almighty God knows to be true about you. And you go about your business serving Almighty God. And I admire their boldness. I admire their courage. They're more courageous than a lot of men we see. Where are all the men that the Lord helped? Where are all the men that were ministered to? Where are all the men uh, that, that Christ did great things for? Where are they at this point in time? Now, maybe they are, don't know what's going on. I, I grant it. Maybe they don't know the crucifixion is taking place. That's why they are not there. Or maybe they're like many who just think, you know, let me just keep my mouth quiet, and, and not after all, I've got a family, and so I need to protect my family, and it's not good for me to say anything right now. Let me just shut up and, and hang back, and, 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 and after all, God knows what he's doing, and God will take care of things God has to take care of, and God doesn't need me, and, and all the excuses we give for why we can't serve God. But his mother is there, and the last place a mother really wants to be is when her child is dying, and this is a scene like no ever that the mother had to explain. He looks down upon her and he says, again, we noticed the first conversation he ever had in John's gospel was with his mother 
at the wedding at Cana, and he, call, and he calls her woman there. And again, woman is a term of respect. It's not an affectionate term, but he does say, woman, behold thy son. And I want us to understand what he means by this statement. And in this conversation, this is the only time I can think, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you can prove me wrong, I haven't studied it thoroughly, but this is the only time in, with these conversations where the Lord Jesus Christ says something to somebody and nobody responds back. All the, at least all the other women, there was a con, there, something was said and then there was reciprocation. In this case, he looks down upon Mary and says, Woman, behold thy son, and Mary says nothing. Mary does not respond to anything that is said. She's quiet. And if she does say anything, the Holy Spirit of God did not record it for us in Scripture to know what was being said. Because the thought is on this statement, Woman, behold thy son. What does it mean? Well, I want you to take your Bible. And let's look at a few places if we can to try to understand this statement. Turn, if you will, back to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2. We see, again, who is this son? Who is the son that Mary is beholding? There is a special, unique bond between mother and child that fathers really don't have. You know, my wife and I, God has blessed us with four wonderful children. We love all of them the same. There is no favorite amongst them, although they differ on that. My children will argue differently, but there is no favorite amongst them. We love them. They're all unique. They all have their own little personalities. They all can be weird at times, as well as a great blessing on top. They're just like their father, and they're especially like their mother. Amen? And so they are all unique in that way, shape, or form. Some people say they look like me. Some people say they look like their mother. Some people say, I, I don't, I'm not good at that. I just, it's not what I do for a living, amen? Uh, There's a lot of things I don't do for a living, and that's, I don't, you know, if you put me at the fair to guess how old you are or guess your weight, we will be out of stock of those cheap toys in 20 minutes because I'm just not good at that. I know, especially I'm not going to guess a woman's age or her weight. You know, <laughs> 90 and 20, and I'd be, <laughs> that's where I'd hang out, amen? So understand uh, who are we talking about here? Uh, again, my wife and I blessed with four children. Listen, when our child, when our children were conceived, you know, that was my part in that, in in the life giving aspect of it. And then, as a man, as a father, I, I, there was my responsibility. My responsibility was to was to give protection to my wife, to make sure that my wife had proper shelter, to make sure that my wife and and child had proper uh, clothing, that my wife and and child were had proper nourishment, to make sure that my wife and and child had had proper medical care. I, that I was doing everything I could on the exterior of all that to be a man and to take care of the life that God had given to us and the one who was bearing that life and then but the woman and women do something marvelous that God created and designed them to do and that my friend is to grow that life and to nurture that life and for nine months I watched my wife not take aspirins I got a headache well take an aspirin I can't because of the baby I'm like I think it'll be okay you know that's what I'd be, I'd be taking it <laughs> Like, who knows how my kids will turn out. It was up to me, amen? But uh, take, she wouldn't take aspirin. She wouldn't do this. She wouldn't do that. I watched her not unable to sleep and toss and turn with the baby and lay there and, and then watch that baby move inside her womb and see a footprint on, on her belly and, and, and watch the, that foot move around the belly. Oh, my soul, look at that. That's amazing. 
I don't know if I could do that or not. But God designed you to do that and watch that baby grow. And it's not cells. It's not a fetus. It's not a tumor. It's a child. It's a human being growing in there. It's a design of Almighty God. And God is knitting that baby together in the womb. And and, and a mother uh, gives birth to that baby. And and then she stays up and she may feed that baby. And she uh, listens for that baby. And and we don't fully comprehend all our mothers do until later on in life that we watch what our wives may do. And, And what you may do, the debt that is owed to every mother that was ever gave birth and raised it. Mary now looks upon her son, and this is a unique son. For nine months she carried this child, then she raised him, she took care of him all his days. But we know from going back to the Christmas story in Luke chapter number two, when something we, we kind of never really get to in the Christmas season, we always kind of stop at verse number 20 of chapter number two, and Seldom get beyond 21 because it's well, it's kind of after Christmas and we don't kind of get to it. It's kind of it's like it's December 26th. It's like getting a present on December 26th. It's like really, it wasn't supposed to be yesterday or the 24th? That's kind of cheap. And when the eighth days were accomplished, we see there was the circumcising of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's Mary's purification in verse number 22, and and then again, this is taking place uh, several days later. And uh, in verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was a just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see, the, see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit of the temple. And when the, Spirit, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the laws, then he took up his arms and Blessed God and said. So again, here's this special man, this, this unique man, a very old man. And don't, by the way, don't tell me that the Holy Spirit of God showed up at Pentecost. He's, he's all throughout your Bible. In fact, he's, on, he's in verse number 2 of Genesis chapter number 1. He's Holy Spirit's throughout your Bible. And here we see him uh, not only at the, at, with John the Baptist and dwelling John while John was in the womb. And then he's there with the Lord Jesus Christ in, in his conception. And now we, here we see this, this old man who the Spirit of God is ministering to. And the Spirit of God says, listen, Simeon, I promise you, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. He's an old man. Then finally, the Holy Spirit says, go into the temple and you're going to find the Messiah. And he walks in and sees a baby. Sees a baby. He's excited because <laughs> he knows this is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to deliver Israel. And he gives this wonderful prophecy to Mary and Joseph as they're there. And, and, and again, he said, again, I, I don't, time is running fast here this morning. He says in verse 32 that this Messiah, this baby, is a light to lighten the Gentiles. Aren't you glad that's a light for you and I, my friend? We're in darkness till the Messiah showed up to light the Gentiles. And he's the glory of the people of Israel. Two groups, by the way. One group, they're the Gentiles, think God's done with the Jews, the Jews are done away with. And then you have the Israelites who think God hates the Jews and doesn't want the Jews. But according to the Bible, which always messes up our thinking, by the way, God's using both people, is he not? And God wants and God loves both groups of people. Verse 33, And Joseph, his mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And here's what I want you to see. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel 
and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through his own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. My friend, uh, that, uh, I think I misread that. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul. The prophet Simeon looks at Mary and he's holding this baby. He says, I want you to know, lady, I want you to know, dear mother, that this child and what's going to happen to him, uh, a sword is going to pierce through your soul with what's going to happen to him. And Mary looks at that and she ponders those things. What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Well, can I fast forward to John chapter number 19 as Mary stands at the cross? That's what it means. Because the sword is now piercing her very soul, watching her own son be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. She's watching her son be the sacrificial lamb. She is watching her son be the Passover lamb. The woman who's followed all the Jewish customs, the woman who has, has followed meticulously, now sees that her son is the fulfillment of all of those things. Behold thy son. Behold the, the one whom you read about. The one you are looking at is the one that you have sacrificed. Every animal, every blood that you've uh, seen spilt. Every time you went to the temple, whether it's through a turtle dove or, or through a goat or through a lamb, no matter what it was, that, that was me. Woman, behold your son, the sacrifice for the sins of the world and the, the soul that is the sword that's piercing her very soul at this moment. Some time ago, we looked at the titles and names of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we referred to him as the Son of Man. And Son of Man, again, is found 85 times in the New Testament. It is the primary title for our Savior, referring to himself as that. And the only use of the Son of Man, again, is a clear reference to Jesus, spoken by someone other than Jesus, came from the lips of Stephen as he was being martyred, where he said, I see the Son of Man. But Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. What's that mean? He was human. He was human. And the humanity uh, uh, is now dying on Calvary's cross. Yes, he is Emmanuel. Yes, he is God. We've been through this before. But he is woman. Behold thy son. Behold the Son of Man. Behold the human part of me that's now dying and, and fulfilling Scripture. It is a horrific thing for Mary to stand there and see her son going through that. I watched my mother go down to the hospital and visit my brother as he lay dying in the hospital. We got the phone call that Eddie had passed away. My mom went down to the hospital and she told the nurse, why didn't you tell me he was this close? I told you. I told you a thousand times. If you think it's getting close, please let us know. She said, we didn't have no signs. One minute he was fine and, and then he was just gone. We apologize. I'm sorry. But my mother would spend hours down there with my brother as he lay dying. And any mother who's been there and, and suffered and had to go through that knows the very sword that will go through your soul. But Mary's is more so because her son is suffering like no man ever suffered before. Son of man is also, again, is a title of humanity. Son of man, in contrast, focuses on the humanity of Christ. When arguing with Jehovah Witnesses, so, so God died on the cross... No, bonehead, understand the scriptures. He is son of man, but he is also son of God. He is God, he is the perfect God man. The man, the flesh, 
is dying on Calvary's cross. God will continue to go on and live. It will be the God who will take the blood and, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. It is the God who will go down and, and lead captivity captive out of Abraham's bosom. But the man is now suffering as the sacrifice. God called the prophet Ezekiel son of man 93 times. And, and again, Ezekiel was a human being. Son of man is a simply a term uh, for human Jesus Christ who was truly, again, flesh. The word has become flesh. Son of man is a title for his humility. Woman, behold thy son. We notice his humility. How can God, uh, the king of glory, the eternal creator, all of a sudden now be stripped of his clothing? And, and it's a shameful thing to be like that, to be stripped and to be mocked, to be beaten and hung up for the world to see. And Jesus said, by the way, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It's important that he be lifted up, just as that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness with Moses it's important that he be lifted up. He is son of man. Christ said in Luke, he said, the son of man has no place to lay his, hunt, his head. He also said the son of man came to, and he ate and he drank with sinners. In Matthew's gospel, it says the son of man had suffered at the hands of men. Again, we see this intentional lowering of status from king of heaven to the son of man. And it is the epitome of humility. We often think sometimes we are humble. Humility is a funny thing. By the time you think you have it, you lost it. I'm very humble. No, you're not. <laughs> if you were, you, you wouldn't be saying such foolish things. It's just like that verse in the Bible where it says Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. And we say Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Well, did Moses write that? Well, of course he did. Well, how can he be humble if he wrote that? Well, again, it's spirit-led to say that. It's like John not referring to himself. John refers to himself in John's gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Again, I have trouble. I'm Matt, the one my mother loved. You know, that's my brother Eddie there, but I'm Matt. You know, my mother loved all of us. So again, we find these things in Scripture. When we understand they're inspired Scripture, that God gave the words. But again, we see his humility, and his humility is played out there in Philippians chapter 2 and verses number 6 through 8, where, again, he humbles himself. And how often as Christians we will not do something because we think it's beneath us and that's, that's something I don't do. Get somebody else to do that. We had a missionary come through many, many years ago. We still support him. And uh, they had a baby. They had a lot of kids, but they had, one of them was a baby. And I remember they came through the side door, and not to be gross or gross you out or it's just bad. And every mother understands this. It happens. And uh, they traveled a long distance. They had a, a baby in the diaper, and, uh, and the kid just... It got full, amen? And, and she came through here, and she was trying to make it to the basement. And, 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 and again, it just... It left breadcrumbs along the way. That's all. That's what we'll put it, amen? So, he, and so what are you, you going to do about that? Well, you know, I'm the pastor. The pastor does not do such things. No, the pastor was down there with the detergent cleaning up the trail of the, the, that the kid just had a, a, a blowout, Amen? Every parent understands the blowout, amen? You've been there, and every father understands that, amen? Because he's fine. While mom's out somewhere, like... It's like, oh, no. And then you run over, and, and I remember my, my mother told a gross story. My brother, Eddie, had a blowout when he was a kid. She was sleeping, and then she went and checked him on him, and he was, the diaper was off, and, and it was all over everywhere, 
on himself and everywhere. And she says, I didn't know what to do first. Do I clean him? Do I clean the walls? Do I clean? What do I, what do you, what do you attack first? And so, what are you talking about, preacher? If you haven't figured it out, just, just, it's just, it is what it is. Amen. So you just, we've all been there. We've all been there. I wouldn't clean that up. That trail, let the mother clean. No, the preacher was down there cleaning it up, you know. I'm a plumber, by the way, so, you know, we just kind of goes with the flow. We just, that, no pun intended, and uh, we just cleaned it up, amen. I felt bad for She was apologizing, and they were humiliated, and they felt horrible that, you know, I'm a good mother, but he just, just how did it. It's, we've all been there. We've all been there. But, my friend, the day you get too good to clean up the popcorn... On the, is the day you really can't serve God because my friend Jesus Christ left heaven's glory to be crucified by his creation, to be mocked and ridiculed. None of us can ever be, go that low in our humility to serve Almighty God. He is the Son. Again, we see this. He's the Son of identification. Keep in mind that this is God in the flesh hanging there on a cross. He's already endured cruelty. He's endured the scourging. He's endured the ridicule of the soldiers. He's endured the hatred of the Jews. And now he suffers under the load of sin and torments of the cross. And in this moment of grief and pain, Jesus says, Behold thy Son. He has been obedient to the cross of Calvary. And even there he identifies with his mother. The Son of God identifies with his earthly mother. He's dying for her sins as well. Her sins as well are being paid for on Calvary's cross. She is not, not despised or rejected. She is loved. And how every son and daughter ought to love their mother in a unique way, understanding that what they endured to give them life and how they all that they went through to give them life, especially in today's world. If a kid can make it past the womb in today's world, it's a miracle since today's world considers them nothing. And again, I remind you of something I say all the time. I was talking to a guy the other night. He goes, this is my wife. But she's pregnant. I said, don't say pregnant. I don't like pregnant. Well, she's pregnant. I said, it, it, it has a, it, back in my, it was a slang term, really. Say she's expecting or say she's with child. So you're Christian, say she's with child, because she's with child. Ah, she's pregnant. I said, well, it sounds like a tomato sauce. I meant she's pregnant. Just, just, she's, she's with child. That sounds more biblical. It sounds nicer. It sounds more wholesome. And so when you go out there, don't say, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pregnant. No, I'm with child. That's letting everybody know that I don't have a fetus in me. I don't have a clump of cells in me. I have a human being inside of me. That's not up for debate whether it's you know, if it should be slaughtered or not. He was not only the son that she identified with, she was the son, he was the son of compassion. Jesus loved his mother deeply. Even in, in his dying moments, he was concerned about her physical well-being. This is a great moment of compassion. But also, he was the son of redemption. Jesus wanted Mary to look upon the cross. He wanted her to view the sacrifice that was, was made for her sins when he spoke. And every mother knows her child's voice. Every, every parent knows their child's voice. You hear them, and, and that's your son, but a mother especially. And when the Lord spoke from Calvary's cross, whether she's still looking up, whether she's weeping and looking down, we don't know. But I, I guarantee you one thing, if she was looking down and he speaks and says, Woman, behold thy son, she recognizes that voice, even though it's going through terrible agony and pain. She knows the voice of her son. 
she was a privileged woman. In fact, that she had this responsibility, she gave birth to the Messiah. Every Jewish woman wanted this, this responsibility. They, they longed for this, but God had to choose only one woman. Mary was that chosen vessel that God chose, and she was blessed indeed. But she, too, needed to believe upon the Messiah. So, woman, behold thy son. And very quickly, even though this is not part of the conversation to his mother, but that one conversation there is for to the woman. It's a conversation with a woman. It is the sixth conversation. But to finish the thought and what's going on here, he says, behold thy mother. He looks at John and says, behold thy mother. Here we see his care for his mother. As the oldest child, and one thing we don't see in Scripture, but it becomes evidently clear here, is throughout his ministry, throughout his life, and even in his three years of ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ has been taking care of his mother. Now, she may not be traveling with him, but money is going back home, and mom is being taken care of. It is evident that Joseph has died some time ago, and that Mary is a widow woman, but the Lord Jesus Christ has been providing for her. Even though he's traveling around Israel and preaching and doing all that he's doing, he is making sure that Mary has a home, that Mary has a place to stay, and that Mary has groceries, and that Mary has clothes, and as the oldest son, he is caring for his dear widowed mother, which is a responsibility that every child will have to take care of his mother or father one day. Somebody once said that two parents can take care of six kids, but somehow six kids can't take care of two parents. It's funny how that works, is it not? And we all bear that responsibility. My kids are fighting to see who gets to take care of us. I get her. No, I get them. It's just a battle going on there. Amen. That's why Ethan's got that big house now. It's like, we can live here. Amen. This is good. We can crash this place here. <laughs> they are now downsizing. But anyway, but, <laughs> and, uh, and, but no matter what happens, I, I told Renee, I said, listen, sweetheart, it's going to be you. Okay, I'm going. I'm checking out first. I, just one too many trips to Rutt's Hut. I just know it. I'm going, I'm going out first. So you, your, your whole family, you, you all live to 300. And so you're going to be around... And if you look at my wife, she's, she was born in 1590. She was, grew up in Bulgaria, and her family made a deal with gypsies by the light of a pale moon one night. And she's just been, she just doesn't grow old. And so here, and, and so I'm, it's like one of the Twilight Zone episodes, amen? You just, every day, she just keeps going through husbands. But here I am. My one dies off, and she marries another one. But so you kids have the responsibility of caring for her. Is that true, preacher? Well, maybe... Miss Ginny will report this news to my wife later. <laughs> you know what your husband said about you? But anyhow, we get older, so there's always the one who has to care, and the Lord Jesus Christ is caring for his mothers. And some will ask, now, if the Lord Jesus Christ has brothers and sisters, does he not? We've studied that before. He does have brothers. In fact, James will become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He has Jude, who wrote the, the, the book of Jude. But I want you to understand, at this point in time, none of these men or sisters are believers. None of them will become believers until after the resurrection. After all, wouldn't you have trouble believing your brother to be the Messiah? I mean, wouldn't that just, you'd struggle with that. Your flesh would struggle with that. And, and, and so I don't condemn those people at all. But he puts care into John. Now, John, it's your responsibility to take care of my mother. 
It's your responsibility to take care of her. She's your mother now, and you have to care for her. You say, well, why does he not give the responsibility to his brothers and sisters then? Because, again, they are not believers. You say, well, he knows they're going to become... God operates, and he's teaching us to operate in the now. We never operate on what may be, what we think is going to happen. What's the old expression mom used to say? Don't count your chickens until they're hatched. Amen? And we, well, maybe it's going to happen. We don't maybe. Don't count on the money until you have the money. So-and-so has promised us money, Pastor. Let's count. No, we don't have the money. When we have the money, then we'll count on the money. But until we have the money, don't say it's going to happen because things happen. Somebody promised me money in December. Pastor, our company's taking our fund. You're going to, we're going to send you a check. I said, well, I haven't got a check yet. Where's the, I, I say this to him not because I'm looking for the money, but did you send it? You said you were going to send it. Did it get lost? Well, finally, said, we put down the wrong zip code. It, it's lost the mail. We're going to cancel that. We're going to send another one out to you guys. Says, That's great. Again, I'm not begging them, looking for the money. Where is my money? I'm just reporting that it hasn't arrived yet. You say you sent it, but it didn't get here yet. I don't count on that money until I have the money. And the Lord Jesus Christ teaching us here, listen, John, it's your responsibility to care for mom. What about your brothers? They're not saved. I want my mom in a Christian home. I want my mom around godly people. And many people know that sometimes lost family members can be more cruel than anybody else. We're Christians, and they'll, the abuse the abuse you can take in your own home because you love Christ, and, and they don't. Now, again, they may have been good sons. They may have been good daughters, but the care goes into the make sure a Christian is caring for his mother. So, again, be careful. We live for today. We don't live for tomorrow. But, again, woman, behold thy son. Well, who is this son? Well, he's the Lamb of glory, dying for the sins of the world. That's who he is. And he's the one that we must put faith and our trust in if we are to be saved. And he's the one that we look to and say, thank you for dying for me. And although this may seem like a sad and depressing moment, my friend, I remind you as I close, it is a moment and time of great victory. This is victory. We are getting victory. Christ in his suffering and death is assuring us victory. Our enemy is defeated. Death is is defeated. Satan is defeated. Hell is defeated. They have no hold upon us. Because Christ lives, we too shall live. Because somebody wanted to argue with me last week. I said, you know, the greatest need mankind has is forgiveness. They come up their service and want to split hairs. Don't split hairs, people. I think the greatest need is, is cleansing. Listen, listen. cleansing and forgive it's a, it's a package deal okay it's a pack what's more important the heads or the tails on the coin as long as i got the coin i don't care forgiveness and cleansing go hand in hand and through his suffering i am forgiven and cleansed of my sins praise god it's finished the battle's over the victory is assured and my friend we've won <laughs> as we look like we're losing no we won We've won. It's, it's the victory's ours. Let's stand together for prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for the cross. As we think this week of all that our Savior did, as we think of this week where he will ride into Jerusalem triumphant, 
to be shouted Hosanna, only to be taken and for the crowd to yell crucify him. I pray, dear God, you'll bless this time and this hour now. May Christ be honored and glorified. If anybody here today is not saved, help them to come and understand the gospel and be saved.